Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. Good morning, guys. Glad everyone's here. You know, obviously, um, we had some issues with our mics, but just so we're all on the same page, you know, even though there might be a platform, there might be a stage, there might be mics and a camera, this isn't a performance, so it's not like there is success and failure based on the performance of the mics. The success and failure is based off of whether or not we're giving glory and honor to God. So whether the mics are working or they're not, it's a success because we're here to honor God. And that's what we believe we did. So again, not a failure by any means. You know, we let Caleb run sound today. So, I mean, what can, what can you expect, you know? <laughs> I went back there, I was joking, because obviously Caleb knows everything, right? Like, where would we be without Caleb running the sound? And normally he's up here, and I went over there, and I said, Caleb, you know, you, you might just need to have John tell you how to do this next time. <laughs> um, obviously, it wasn't Caleb. It was something that I probably can't comprehend or understand, but... I just know when you talk, nothing came out. So that's about the extent of my knowledge when it comes to comes to sound. I'm going to make this a little bit taller because I'm very tall. I mean, I don't know that I'm very tall. But anyway, all right. So if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a series on the book of James. All right. So in case you don't know, James was the half brother of Jesus. He spent the entirety of Jesus's ministry actually rejecting the message that it was that Jesus was preaching. It wasn't until after the resurrection that James decided to completely change his life, to turn it around, and he became one of the leaders in the church. So we have been going by, this is actually my first time ever doing a verse-by-verse study. We've gone through a lot of different books before, but I kind of group it in normally multiple chapters a week. And these last um, few weeks going through James, because I've been doing verse by verse, we've only done half a chapter. And then this week, I was like, I'm going to do all of chapter two. And then last night at like 1130 at night, I was like, I'm not going to do all of chapter two. I'm only going to do half. So today we're going to do James chapter two, part one. And I put a little subheading in there, and it's about favoritism, the law, and judgment. All right, this is not my subheading. This was kind of James. I just kind of took his main points and put it in there. Mostly, if you guys are listening to the podcast, you can kind of see what it is because I think this is going to take us like 10 weeks to get through this series. So I'm excited. I've learned a lot. It's been a lot of fun looking into um, James and what it is that he wrote. So again, just in case you're new to the Bible, James did not set out to write the Bible. He set out to write a letter to scattered Jewish believers. And over time, this text got compiled and put into scripture. Most um, theologians believe that this is one of the first New, Des- New Testament documents ever written around AD 40. So this is one of the earliest um, documents that there put in chronological order, it would come right after the gospel. So we get the honor and privilege of starting in chapter two. All right, so this is chapter two, verse one of James. 
And he says, my dear brothers and sisters, again, he's speaking to believers, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And again, remember, he's talked a lot all the way through about practical faith, about how the way that we treat people is an example of the faith that we have. So he's saying, how can you claim to have faith in Jesus if you favor some people over others? Now, the whole point of this series is really to hope that you guys are going to start to read more and more on your own. The point is not just to listen to me get up here and talk. It doesn't really matter what I say. It matters what the Word says. So I'm going to give you guys some tips of how I study. Maybe it will be beneficial, and you guys will like to study this way as well. Whenever a verse sticks out to me, I'm normally reading off of the YouVersion Bible app. That's like the traditional Bible app. And you can click on a verse that sticks out and you can hit highlight or there's a bunch of other little tabs. And one of them is compare. And you can look through a whole bunch of different translations. And I like to do this when passages stick out to me because it gives me an opportunity to see how different translators would have translated that passage. Because sometimes two people can say the same thing in a different way, and it will stick out to you and relate to you differently. All right, so I want to read a few different translations of this passage just because I want to make sure it sticks. We get what it is that James is trying to communicate to us, all right? This is a different translation, James 2.1 again. He says, my Christian friends, you must be kind to everyone. You trust the Lord Jesus Christ, who is great in heaven. So do not think that anyone is more valuable than any other person. Do not think that anyone has more value than another. This is the amplified version right here. This one is one of my favorites. It says, my fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality towards people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. How easy is it for us to live our lives with an attitude? And James is going, no, no, you have to make sure that the way that you live is a reflection to who Jesus is and what it is that he taught. Because if you are a Jesus follower, one of the best tests to test the reality of your Christianity is the way that you treat people. You can think that you have the most knowledge, the most understanding. You can think that you are the best follower. But if everyone else around you, I'm so glad that air cut off because I'm losing circulation to my fingers. You guys know my circulation issues. My toes, I cannot feel them. It is so cold in here. I don't know if it's just me, but my toes are frozen. Pray for me, Lord Jesus, help. All right. Where was I? Something about Jesus. So um, the the way that we talk to people, the way that we communicate with people, the way that we love people is a testament to the faith that we have. And just like James taught us in James chapter one, that if we can't control our tongue, if we're not helping the people around us, our faith is worthless. Our faith is completely worthless if it's not an example of the way that we love people, the way that we are reflecting who Jesus is. Because remember, what was the mark that by this all men will know that you're my disciples? What was the mark? It was by the way that you love one another. 
That's the mark that you should have on you as a believer is by the way that you love one another. The sad truth, the reason why the church has such a bad reputation is the mark that they have on them is not for their love, but for their judgment. And we want to make sure that as you and I go through life, as we go um, to work and to family events and as we go to the store, that there is a mark on us for loving people well. And let me be the first to tell you, people make it really difficult. They make it really difficult. Allie and I were just talking the other day. I don't know what it is, but I swear there's some mark on me that says, how rude can I be to this person? Like for the last month, people have just said unbelievably rude things to me for no reason. And I'm like, what is going on? I was, I was um, at work last week and I was rushing, 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 trying to get back to the supply store because they closed at 4.30. So I had it in my maps and I forgot one thing and I got there at 4.18. And I was like, I have plenty of time. It only takes me five seconds to grab the one piece of edging that I need and leave. I pulled in and got out of my truck and one of the workers starts cursing at me. And he's like, what are you doing? It's almost 425. Are you ridiculous? We've got to go home. And I looked at my clock, and it was like 418. I went in there, grabbed the piece of edging, and left. I was gone by 419. And he wasn't even allowed to close the gate until 425. And I thought to myself, wow, that made it really difficult to love you well, because what we want to do is we want to justify our actions. Does anyone else get cursed at as they walk into stores, or is that just me? I kid you not, this is not out of the order. I don't even say anything. I just walk in there, and someone's yelling at me. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? Allie has heard it. I've been on the phone before. I was parked in front of one lady's house, not even blocking her driveway came out, started taking pictures of my truck and trailer and said she was going to call the cops and how I'm a horrible human being. And I thought to myself, where, where do you want me to park? <laughs> you know, and it was, it was messed up. But this is like a weekly occurrence. People, this is the point. I was a bit of a rabbit trail. People make it difficult to love people. But that's not an excuse for you to have worthless faith. Because remember, how did James spend the last moments of his life as they took him to the pinnacle of the church, as they pushed him off of the church, and by some stroke of luck when he survived, they went down and began to beat him to death, and the words that were coming out of his mouth were, Father, please forgive them. Please have mercy on them. It was not a reflection of the way that they were treating him, but it was a reflection of the man that he chose to follow. The way that we treat people is not a reflection of the way that they treat us. It's a reflection of the man that we have chosen to follow because that is the mark. That is the mark that they will know us by. Because get this, I love doctrine. I love theology. I love knowledge. I love anything to do with scripture, anything that we can debate and talk about. It's a lot of fun but it's possible to have a big head and a shriveled up heart. And James says, At that type of faith is worthless. That type of faith is worthless. The point of knowing doctrine, the point of studying theology, all of this stuff is to push us towards the knowledge of God, not to push us away from actually following him.
We are meant to not just hear the word, but to actually do it. We're meant to be his disciples. And that's really the main point that James has throughout this entire book is we are meant to have practical faith, practical faith. All right, so now we're going to move on to verse 2 of the same chapter. We're going to go through verse by verse. I believe we're going all the way to verse 13, if I remember correctly. So this is verse 2. It says, for example. So this is James's example of favoritism. It doesn't mean it's the only Um, option of favoritism that you and I could um, participate in, but this is one of the examples that he chooses to illustrate. He says, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, I think it's pretty fair to say no one in this room wants to have judgments that are, are brought in by evil motives, right? No one woke up this morning and it's like, you know, I'm going to judge people based off of my evil motives. That's going to be my goal today. You know, no one wakes up and has that desire, but sometimes, sometimes it's, it's kind of sad, but I think we actually do make judgments guided by evil motives. And I know that's not our goal, but a lot of times that's our habit. Because remember, we talked about last week, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our habits. So we want to make sure that we don't just have goals of practicing wisdom, but we want to make sure we actually have habits of it. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can live guided off of our evil Desires, And I think usually the reason why we can favor rich people, just to kind of play into James's example, it's not the only way that we can show favoritism, but it is one of them. One of the reasons why we show favoritism to rich people or to famous people is because there's something inside of us that says the rich man can do something for me that the poor man can't. And what it does is it doesn't come from necessarily a love for the rich man. It comes from a selfishness inside of our heart that says this rich man will somehow be able to benefit me. This famous person through their connections, through their affiliation with a band or with a person, somehow I'm going to do whatever I can to show favoritism to them because some way or another I will receive something from it. Because there's some type of selfishness inside of us and if we're not careful, we're going to be guided by the motives of selfishness instead of the motives of Christ. And that's what James is illustrating here. I think we can all agree, right? James's issue is not with the treatment of the rich person, but with the treatment of the poor person. He's not trying to get you to treat rich people worse. He's trying to get you to treat people equally. You laugh, but it's very common inside the church to overemphasize this teaching to the point that we can actually think ill of people with money, and we can actually favorite, we can actually favorite people that have a poverty lifestyle. And there's people in the church that actually embrace a poverty lifestyle because they start to think so ill of the people with money. 
Now, it might be obvious, but the problem that James is drawing attention to is not the good treatment to the rich man, but the bad treatment of the poor man. Again, it's not about social status. It's not about race. It's not about our families. It's not about any of that stuff. What it's about is making sure that we are marked by love. We are marked by love. We're meant to treat people equally, full of love, full of grace, full of mercy. And I see it so often. Either we show favoritism in hopes that we are going to receive something from it, myself included. I've been guilty of it. We show favoritism just hoping, you know, I'm going to catch a break based off of their connections, based off of who they know, what, who, what ends they have. Or we reject it so much that we embrace a poverty lifestyle. And we go, well, this is what God has for me. And we start to think ill of anyone that has money, not realizing Proverbs says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. What is that? Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children's, but a sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So you and I are meant to progress. You and I are meant to eventually build up passive income to the point that we can leave it to our children and their children. You're not meant to live in a poverty lifestyle. You're meant to, you know, move forward because, again, we're called to be great stewards of what we've been given, but not so that we can store it up so that moth and dust can destroy it, but so that we can leave it for the next generation so that they can build on top of it. That's part of the um, legacy that we have as believers that we're meant to leave, not just a financial one, but a spiritual one, a relational one. That's what you and I carry as parents. A good man, a good woman leaves an inheritance, not just of wealth, but of spiritual, uh, spiritual inheritance. A good man leaves it for his children's children. And a sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Side note, the Bible is filled with little snippets of that about how when you are a sinner, um, the Lord will take things from you and give it to somebody else. We see that with the um, parable of the talents and a few other places. I always stop myself and, and ask the Lord, you know, I would never, never want you to take something and, and give it to me. But if you are taking something already... If you're already taking it because of your sovereignty and because of your goodness, may I please be the righteous person in the text? I'm like, I just want to play into your will, Father. <laughs> if you're taking it already, please, just I will be here and I will, I will be a good steward. I would like to do with the five bags what someone else did with the three, you know? So I, I want to keep, keep flipping the bag, to sort of speak. Um, all right, so moving on to James, verse 5 now. And again, he starts it out the same way. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Listen, listen, listen. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Again, he's trying to um, you know, even the playing field because obviously there are the believers in the church that are showing great favoritism to the rich. Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. 
isn't it the rich who oppose you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin and you are guilty of breaking the law. All right, so this is where our transition happens for today. We've got three of them, but or two of them. This is where the first transition happens. He's moving from favoritism over to the law and sin. All right, so he says right here that you are guilty of breaking the law. All right, so remember, James is writing this letter to Jewish Christians, and obviously these Christians seem to be struggling with the idea that their particular shortcomings or their sin isn't as bad as somebody else's. All right, whether it's the Gentiles or whoever happens to be around, they're viewing themselves as better just because their shortcomings and their sins are different than somebody else's. So this is the next point that James is going to address. So we're going to read uh, verses 9 through 12 now. And it says, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the law except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's law. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that set you free. All right, so what is James teaching here? Because I want to make sure that we understand what it is that James is saying and what it is that he isn't saying, because there can be pretty big implications depending on the understanding that we take from this passage. All right, so we're going to start with what is it that James is teaching? What is it that he's trying to illustrate to us? And I think um, the Apostle Paul actually echoes James's exact point in Romans chapter 3. So we're going to jump over to Romans chapter 3. This is verse 23. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. All right. And I think this is James's main point that it doesn't matter what sin you happen to commit. We have all fallen short. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard because he is perfect. He set a glorious standard for us. And when we sin, when we have all fallen short, like we all have, we break the law But yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. So when we become believers, when we put our faith, hope in him, he puts us in right standing with the Father. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. All right, so even if your sin is different than my sin, whenever we commit a sin, we break the law. You can think of it kind of like whenever Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he had the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments and he walked down and what did he see? He saw the people that they built the golden calf, right? So what did he do? He took the law, he took the stone tablets and he threw them down and he broke them, signifying that the law was broken. Are you guys following me? Okay, was each individual law broken? No, maybe one, maybe two, 
but the law itself was broken. It doesn't mean each commandment was you know, broken into pieces, but the law itself had been broken. All right, if I had a glass of water up here and I made one small crack in the bottom of the glass, I broke the glass. The entire glass is broken, even though it's one small crack in the bottom. The glass is broken whether or not it's one small crack or whether or not it's broken into the glass is still broken. And this is the entire point that James is trying to make, is it doesn't matter what sin you committed, but you and I are still lawbreakers if we have broken the law, even if they are different. All right, so James is bringing this up to make sure that we never look down on people or think of ourselves as better just because our sin might have been different than somebody else's. All right, so this is what I believe. Again, Corey's interpretation, I don't see much debate here at all among theologians. Um, But yes, this is what I'm teaching if you have a different interpretation that's fine. I think you're wrong, but that's perfectly fine. <laughs> All right. So, so this is what, it's a joke, guys. I mean, come on. But this is what James is not teaching. Are you ready? Because again, I think there can be pretty dangerous implications. This is what James is not teaching. All sin is not equal. All right, because it gets dangerous when we think that all sin is equal. And I'll give you a bunch of scripture. I only picked a few. I could go on to make this case for 45 minutes, but I'm just going to do it real quick because scripture is so clear on the topic. All right, first, we're going to think about it as um, common sense. All right, if we're pulling out of the church and we get on 301 and we're driving and we decide to pass someone on a double yellow line. All right, we go around them and we pass the person because they're going slow and our life's more important than theirs. <laughs> you know, we are lawbreakers. All right, we're lawbreakers. Now, if someone else zooms by us and we decide, you know what, I'm going to pull out a gun and I'm going to shoot them, you are also, I know it's extreme, I'm sorry, you are also a lawbreaker. Are you following me? You are a lawbreaker in both instances, but. The law that is broken is different. The implications are different, all right? What it causes, again, on your life, on your relationships, on your relationship with the Father, the penalties that you have from it, all of them are different. Now, the glorious standard that the Lord set, okay, when you break the law, you are required to need a Savior. So you need a Savior no matter what law you break, but the implications from breaking that law, especially as believers, are very different. Okay, are you guys following me? Let's go ahead and read some scripture so you don't think I'm too crazy. All right, I didn't pick any of the Old Testament passages just because people are always like, that's Old Testament. And I'm like, Okay, you know, but there's a whole bunch of Old Testament scripture. Obviously, sin is very different. God has different judgments, different implications for for sin, but we're just going to skip all the Old Testament that proves me right. We're just going to go right over to John chapter 19, verse 11. All right, this is when Jesus is being... um, getting ready for his execution, and he's talking to Pilate, and then Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. He has the greater sin. Why? Because there are different levels to sin. Not all sin is equal. The religious leaders had a greater burden of sin because they had 
premeditated what it was that they were doing. They saw the signs and wonders that Jesus had done, and they continually tried to have him murdered and executed. So because of what was going on in their heart, because of the things that they had chosen to do, they had a judgment of greater sin. In Matthew 23, Jesus talks about the weightier matters of the law. In Proverbs chapter 6, I know it's Old Testament, (laughs) it talks about the seven deadly sins. Obviously, God views sin differently, all right? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, this is when Jesus is getting ready to send his disciples out. He says, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or to listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on judgment day. Why? Because sin will be judged differently based on its severity and its quantity. All right, sin will be judged differently based on its severity and its quantity. Why is it important to make this distinction? Okay, because what I've seen happen when you believe that all sin is equal, when you believe that stealing a pencil is the same as murder, what happens is people think to themselves, well, I already, I'm already watching pornography. What's the difference if I just sleep with her? I I already had the thought, so what's the difference if I acted out? I already stole, so what's the difference if I start to take this, to smoke this, to do that? And what happens is we actually begin to justify our sins because we justify in our minds, well, it's all the same anyway. Not realizing that the implications it has on our life are very different. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how sexual sin is a sin against our own body, meaning that your body that was created to house the presence of God, when we enter into sexual sin and make a practice of it, you're actually sinning against the very temple that was created to house the Holy Spirit. So you're hindering the way that the Holy Spirit can move within you because of the practices that you're entering into. Why? Because sin is very different. It doesn't mean that you should look down on somebody because they commit a sin differently than you. But what it means is that we should never justify what it is that we are doing. We are meant to live a lives that are moving from holy to holy, a life that is built on righteousness. And many times, whenever we walk, or walk away with the theology that says all sin is equal, the enemy uses it to have us justify our actions. All right, and that's not what scripture teaches. Sin is different. You will be judged based off of the severity of it. All right, welcome to church. You know, so happy Sunday. Glad you guys are here. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says, okay? If if that upsets you, I'm really sorry. You can blame me and my interpretation, but this is what I truly believe it's saying. Obviously, if you think differently, you're completely entitled to that position. Now we're going to talk about the second transition. I kind of already hit on it a little bit on the last verse, but now we're going to talk a little bit about judgment. Yay! (laughs) You know, what you guys are like, man, I'm so glad I came here for this edifying and uplifting message of judgment and how my sin is just nasty. All right. 
good news is God is here, and because of his sacrifice, you can walk into right standing with the Father. So I am not here to judge you or to condemn you based off of what you've done. I'm here to say that there is a glorious message that Jesus Christ loved you so much that he would go, hey, that sin that Dylan made, that sin that Steve made, I'm going to take that one on me. Their punishment, I don't want them to bear it. I'm going to take it on my own shoulders. I'm going to put them in right standing with God himself. That is the great message of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why we're going to talk about judgment is because there's so much confusion around the topic because people are like, oh, I didn't think I was going to get judged because I'm a Christian. So, we're going to go back to James, and we're going to read our last two verses for today, and we're going to talk a little bit about judgment. Yay, here we go. All right, so this is James chapter 2. Now we're in verse 12. We're going to read 12 and 13. So he says, whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Remember, he's talking to believers. Whatever you say, whatever you do, remember you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. All right, so Paul talks about in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, and just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes judgment. So after we die, remember the, um, the horn will sound, the dead will rise, and they will be judged. Okay, that's you're appointed once to die and once to be judged. Now, there are two different judgments. This is where all the confusion comes from. There is the great white throne of judgment, which is for all of those that are outside of Christ. And then there is another judgment. Most theologians refer to it as the, the Bema seat, which is for those that are in Christ. All right, so the difference is the great great white throne of judgment, you will be judged based off of what you do and say, but you will be punished for it, okay? The Bema seat, you will not be punished for your actions, but you will be withheld from. You will be withheld from. And you guys are like, what does that mean? Well, we're going to go ahead and read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, and I will let Paul tell you what I mean. So, but on the day of judgment day, <laughs> but on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done, okay? We are the builders, you and I, the believers, okay? He will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder, look at this, the builder will be saved, but like someone who, who is barely escaping through a wall of flames. All right, so this is very different from like the Matthew 25 passage where people are saying, Lord, Lord, I, you know, I, I called to you in your name. Those are people that will actually be rejected. These are people that are sitting in the, the Bema seat. They will be saved, but by the skin of their teeth. These are people that truly repented, truly followed Jesus, but they lived a life of compromise. They lived a life not based off of reflection of Christ, but based off of what it is that they wanted to do. And their works will be tested. 
So everything that you say and everything that you do will be judged one day, not for punishment, but for reward. So now if I lived a life of compromise, then many of the great things that I might have gotten as rewards for eternity would be burned up and lost. And we have to be careful because I hear so many people, the type of eternity that they preach is a socialism eternity. Eternity is not socialism. Scripture is actually very clear on it. You are going to be rewarded not based off of just the fact that you're you, you are going to be rewarded based off of what it is that you have done and what it is that you have said. This is the truth of scripture. And a lot of times it doesn't make us feel really good because we wanna be justified in our current actions. We wanna be justified in the way that we're already living. We wanna be justified in the way that we've already chosen to you know, live our life. But the question is, do you wanna be justified or do you want truth? Because the truth is that you and I will be held accountable for everything that we say and do. It is possible that you and I could experience loss and still enter into eternity. Not because God is mean, not because he's rude. He's still the God of love, but he is also the God of justice. And Jesus will pay your penalty. Your penalty will be paid. You will receive no punishment but you might also receive no reward. And that's the difference between the great white throne of judgment and the Bama Sea. That's why there's so much confusion there is because a lot of times it's taught because you're a believer, you'll receive no judgment. It is true, you will not adhere to the white throne of judgment, but you will still stand before the Father and you will still have to give an account for everything you said and everything you did. The great news is Jesus is here and he's wanting to move you into a life of greatness. Maybe we've fallen short. Maybe we've lived a life based off of our own desires, our own wants and our own cares. God isn't here to condemn you. He's here to convict you and go, we can do it better. We can do it better. I have a life where I have so much that I wanna give you, so much that I wanna bless you with. And I'm going to lead you and direct you. The question is, will you follow? So the last point that James makes, I want to just flip right back over to verse 12. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. All right, this is so cool. God is so amazing. All right, so again, let's picture, um, you know, you die, you cross someone on the double yellow line when you shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you die, and then what happens? You're face to face with the Father. You're giving account. Now, the judgment that he chooses will be based on how you judged others. So you and I, the way that we live our lives and the way that we treat people will be the judgment that the Lord pulls out to judge you. All right, so obviously I know everybody's thinking, or at least I am, we have to go read Matthew 18 real quick. I know I'm talking a lot, but I just wanna read Matthew 18. And we're gonna read verse 21 through 35 because this is pretty much exactly what James is talking about. 
All right, so this is a verse about forgiveness. It's known as the parable of the unforgiving debtor. All right, so Jesus is about to teach us a parable, tell us a story to illustrate a heavenly truth. All right, it says, then Peter came and asked, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? That is so like modern day us. Like I've already forgiven them five times. Like I'm not doing it again. I'm gonna distance myself. They're so toxic. Then Peter came and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. The point is, don't actually calculate it out. The point is, you never stop, all right? (laughs) Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared. So he's illustrating, he's telling a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, billions and billions. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay his debt. Okay, he's about to be judged in order to make the payment. He's about to be judged based on that. But where am I? But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But... When the man who was forgiven left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So we can see the comparison here between millions and thousands. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had, a man, he had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. All right, story over. Then Jesus gives us a little insight to the story. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is why it's good news and not scary news, okay? This is the great news that you and I can live a life of mercy. All right, I don't do this great every time. When I got in the truck, after that guy had cursed me out and yelled at me because I came into the store too late, and it wasn't too late, bud. It wasn't. I'm going to call your manager. It wasn't too late. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got in my truck and I pulled away. And there's something inside of me that wants, Allie doesn't even know about this. I haven't even told her yet. There's something inside of me that wants to call up Allie and say, can you believe what this person just said to me? You know, I want to call up Douglas on the other phone. Can you believe what this person just said to me? And what do I want to do? I want to be justified and what it is that I did and how I'm right and the other person is wrong. 
okay, I don't get this right all the time, but this is what I did. I got in the truck and I went, God, will you please give this person a huge financial blessing? Will you just strengthen their marriage when they get home? Will you make sure that their household is filled with love and compassion and grace? And if he doesn't know you, will you please intervene? Will you somehow connect with him, show him your grace, show him your mercy? Why? Because that's what Jesus did for me. I owed the Father millions of dollars, billions of dollars. The point is, it's a debt that I could never repay. And I run into people all the time that owe me a debt. They were rude to me. They, were, they, were, they wronged me in some way. And there's something inside of my heart that wants justice. But get this. Every time I call justice on someone else, I am also calling for my own. When you look at someone and you declare justice over them, what you're doing is you're looking into your eternity and going, I want justice for myself. I don't know about you, but I don't want justice. I want mercy. And remember what Jesus said, don't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what it is that you planted. I want to make sure that I am planting seeds of mercy because one day I will reap a harvest from it. I wonder what seeds have you been planting lately? Have you been calling for people's judgment because of the way that they've wronged you and they hurt you? Or have you been extending mercy? Because remember, James is all about the practical way that you and I live. We should see this practically in our lives. When people wrong us, when they hurt us, if you are a true Christ follower, you should be following what it is that he taught. So when people wrong you, do you put your hands around their neck and make sure that they repay you the small debt? Or are you someone that always releases them? Because at times when we're here and when we're in this building, we're like, yeah, yes, preacher man, <laughs> brother Steve, brother Steve, I always forgive. And that's what this servant would have said to the king. Yeah, of course, I'll always forgive until, until we're wronged until there actually is someone that owes us $100, $50, $20, until someone zooms by us on the road and we're like, man, I just hope they get pulled over by a cop because I wanna be justified in how wrong they are and how right I am. I hope they get pulled over. And that's the type of way that we live as believers. We call out judgment constantly, not realizing that we are filling the bucket of judgment one day on eternity. I want to be the type of Christian that always calls mercy because that's what it is that God gave me. It didn't matter what I did wrong, how far I went when I shouldn't have. The Lord looked at me with such compassion, with such mercy, and he goes, I will pay the ultimate price for you. I so love you that I want you to be in complete right standing with the Father. And that's the way that God opens it up for you and I. All right, I hope, I hope that you really understood the message that I was teaching. I wanna preach the Bible, but I want you to walk away the way that you would if Jesus was here reading it because it's his word. So we don't wanna feel condemned in it. We wanna feel convicted where we go, we can do it better next time. 
It's not about looking back on the last week or the last year and thinking all the times that we screwed up. What it's about is looking forward and going, we can do it better next time because God is good. All right, if you guys are good with that, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for you, all right? So let's just bow our heads and and I just want you to, um, to just give yourself the opportunity. You know what? If I don't know Jesus... I'm hearing about this word about grace and that he would pay the ultimate price. I just want you to know that all it takes to enter into relationship with Jesus is to humble yourself, to humble yourself and go, you know what? I have broken the law. I am a lawbreaker. And the Bible says to repent, to confess our sins and go, God, I've fallen short. I've messed up and I can't do it without you. Will you please forgive me to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he paid the ultimate price for you. And just that simple prayer, it feels so simple, can completely change eternity and can completely change the man or woman that you are. So with that being said, Father, I just pray a blessing over everyone here. God, will you go before us and behind us? And will you please convict our hearts? Because we want our faith to be genuine. We don't want it to be worthless. When we stand before you one day, we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Will you convict my heart so that I can honor you, so that I can be marked by love, compassion, and grace? You are such a good father. So we just ask for your grace and your mercy to just be poured out on us so that we can pour it out on the people around us. We ask that you would speak to us this week, that you would guide us with your love, that your love would flow to us and through us to the people around us. So we thank you for your provision, for who you are, for your goodness. In your name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.